This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. On this episode of Sales Gravy, I have a powerful conversation with Cody Bateman, who is the author of The Human Connection. I think you're going to love this. Before we get started, though, I want to tell you more about my favorite app these days, which is called Outbound Cards. Outbound Cards helps me create better connections with my prospects and customers using old school snail mail, these beautiful cards, and new school technology, which allows me to send a card to my prospect or customer that's personalized with a couple of clicks on my phone. It's a powerful way to stay in touch with your customers, and it's a powerful way to get them to remember you, and it's a powerful way to stand out. Right now, you can send your first card for free. That's free. All you got to do is go to outboundcards.com. That's outboundcards.com, and click the Send Card Free button. Now, here's my conversation with Cody Bateman, author of The Human Connection. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Relationship Marketing with Cody B. I'm, I've got a very, very special guest on our show today. We're going to get started here in just a second. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored, actually very, very honored to have this gentleman on with us today. And we're going to jump right in because we want to give as much time as possible to listen to the golden nuggets from none other than Jeb Blount. Now, Jeb is a uh, best-selling author and speaker on the subject of sales. Uh, my favorite book that Jeb has is called Fanatical Prospecting, and, and Jeb's done some incredible work in prospecting. I am going to uh, kind of go uh, against my normal nature. I am going to read some stuff here to introduce Jeb because there, there's some significant accomplishments that I think is real important for all of all of us to understand before we you need to you need to know who you're talking to or listening to today. Jeb Blount's the author of ten books, including Fanatical Prospecting, Objections, Sales EQ, and People by You. He's among the world's most respected speakers, trainers, and thought leaders on sales leadership and customer experience. He spends more than 250 days on the road each year, delivering keynote speeches and training programs to high-performing teams and leaders across the globe. He delivers training to thousands of participants in, in uh, both public and private forums. As a business leader, Jeb has more than 25 years of experience with Fortune 500 companies, small and mid-sized businesses, and startups. His flagship website is salesgravy.com. Jeb, welcome to Relationship Marketing with Cody B. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Cody. Thank you for having me on, and the uh, it's my honor. I, I the I've, I've had a chance to spend some time with your book and the work that you do, and you know, there's a lot of synchronicity between the 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 the, the things that you talk about and teach to the the people that that you touch and what we teach, and uh, and I I'm 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 truly honored that you would have me on and and give me an opportunity to spend some time with you and your audience. Well, thank you. You know, I want to jump right into that. It's 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 kind of interesting. I teach the Relationship Marketing Summit courses around the world. And of course, a lot of people that are in those classes are familiar with your work. Uh, they're salespeople from all over the world in different industries that attend there. And so a lot of people are familiar with your work. And it, it's interesting because I really talk a lot about you. But I also talk in, in you know, my content is more about the relationship side 
than the marketing side. In fact, one of the things I talk a lot about is relationship marketing is about relationship 80% of the time and you sprinkle in some marketing 20% of the time. When, when, when people see books like yours, fanatical prospecting, I mean, <laughs> that's pretty fanatical prospecting. The mindset is, well, this guy's all about marketing and he's all about closing the deal, you know, getting a bunch of prospects and closing the deal and the whole bit. And Cody's more about relationship. But as you study both of us, you learn we're both actually saying the same thing, but you come more from the marketing and sales side of it. I come more from the relationship side of it. Talk to us a little bit about how important relationships are today in the prospecting process. Well, if, if you let's, 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 let's take a look at what prospecting is and sales is first. So prospecting is asking for time and sales is asking for commitments. And the key is asking for time at the right time with the right prospect. So the, 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 the worst thing that a salesperson can do, in fact, the, 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 the biggest waste of time is spending it on the wrong prospect. So where we, where we you know, like, as you described, you know, prospecting is getting as much in the funnel as possible. But really, if you start thinking about prospecting, about 80% of prospecting is gathering information and creating familiarity. And this is where the relationship starts plugging into prospecting. We, we are asking for time and we want to ask to, for time when a buying window is open at the right time with the right prospect. But, but we want to gather information so we're qualifying when those buying windows are and we're creating familiarity. And, and what I mean by that is in, in every human being lives in a familiarity bubble. So inside that bubble, there are things that, that we are comfortable with. And that's, that includes people, it includes places, it includes your favorite restaurant that you go to or, you know, around your town. And but, but when it comes to selling and relationship marketing, it's about people. And what we know about familiarity, and this is the similarity bias that we feel as human beings, is that we are more likely to trust and believe and do business with people that are inside of our familiarity bubble. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can get inside a familiarity bubble. One is that you can get a referral. So if someone gives me a referral, I'm able to use that person's familiarity with the person I'm, I'm talking to in order to, to shortcut the process. The other way is through the process of, of, of starting to talk to them or market to them or sell to them. And when we say relationship marketing and prospecting in today's world, Prospecting and marketing have kind of come together and they've and, and they've they're they're woven together in uh, really in an inextricable way. You can't pull them apart anymore. Now there's true marketing and advertising and there is true prospecting alone, but most of what we are doing is 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 pulled together so that along this chain, along the prospecting chain, every time you make a phone call, every time you send a car to someone, every time you meet them, every time you send them an email, every time you touch them on social, you're starting to move a little bit into their familiarity bubble. This is the beginning of the relationship. And, and as they become more familiar with you, then they're more likely to engage with you at the right time. And, and then, right, that's when the real relationship begins, right? That's when we start asking for commitments. That's when we start developing relationships with customers that last for a long time and accounts that, that we hold on for a lifetime. And, but the whole beginning starts with a place where they feel comfortable enough when you make that initial call, right, to get them into your funnel, that, that they're willing to have a conversation with you. And that takes a lot of work, especially with your highest value prospects. And so, I think that's where you and I kind of come together in this process of marketing, the relationship marketing, and pure prospecting. 
So is prospecting about creating a relationship or is it about getting a sale? It's about getting time, right? So that you can create the relationship. So if, if prospecting is purely about creating a sale, then you're in a totally transactional process. So think I'm selling, you know, I'm, I'm going door to door and selling pest control services, or I'm going door to door and I'm selling, you know, I don't know, lawn care. In a lot of those cases, it's a one call close. Yes, a relationship can be made in that moment, but your purpose and focus of that prospecting touch is to convert that into a sale. Well, there's a thin slice of salespeople who work in that space. Most of us work in longer term, more complex um, sales where we're building relationships with, with, with prospects who turn into customers, who turn into long-term revenue streams. So prospecting is asking for time, right? So that I can then build the relationship. But if we go back to that familiarity bubble, if people aren't familiar with you, the first time you call, they just say, I'm not interested. I'm happy. I, you know, I don't want to work with you. But as they become familiar with you, this is, this is that whole relationship marketing piece. As we begin to create that familiarity, they're more likely to give you time. If they give you time, right, then you have the opportunity to ask for small commitments that lead you into a sale or a long-term relationship or, in some cases, allow you to disqualify the opportunity and move on to someone who's in the buying window at, at, at the right time. You know, I, I, think, I think what you're saying, this is interesting because I think what you're saying is High, it's a high level of common sense to you and I. And I think a lot of times we get desensitized because we're teaching this and preaching this and we're around people that teach it and live it. So we become desensitized thinking that the whole world thinks this way, that the whole world, that the whole sales world, let's say, thinks the way you just said. Because when you say it, it's like, how can you argue with what you just said? I mean, that's all common sense. So we get this idea that the whole world thinks that way but you soon realize, especially as you go out and teach these courses and you get out in the public, the whole world doesn't think this way. In fact, the majority of the world still thinks that prospecting and the sales process is about going for the close, baby, getting, let's go make some sales. And, and that's what the focus is. How do we help people transition to what seems to be common sense thinking to this? I think that the, I always begin with the five questions that any prospect is asking of you or any customer is asking of you as a salesperson. And it begins with, do I like you? So the first question that they're asking is, do I like you? So when we start thinking, Cody, about relationship marketing, one of the questions that through your process, the process that you teach is, is teaching the salesperson or the person who's selling to be able to answer the question for the prospect, I'm likable, I, I like you. Because they don't like you, they're going to do business with you. The second question they're asking is, do you listen to me? And, and if, they, if you don't listen to them, they're not going to like you. The third question is, do you make me feel important or significant? Which is important because significance there, the need for significance is the singularity of all human behavior. It is the most insatiable human need, the need to feel important and appreciated. And the easiest way to make someone feel important is to listen to them. Then they're asking, do you get me in my problems? Do you understand me? And that's a basic human thing. I want the person who's working with me to understand me and understand my problems and issues and concerns. And then finally, do I trust and believe you? Do I like you? Do you listen to me? Do you make me feel important? Do you get me in my problems? And do I trust and believe you? 
This is how we build relationships. And, and so when we go back to prospecting, the reason I'm asking for time is so that I can get in front of someone, either by phone or in person, and to demonstrate to them that I am willing to listen, that I am likable, that I am someone who will make them feel important. I am someone that can understand their problems. And by the way, if I can understand their problems, I can bridge to solutions that solve those problems. And when I bridge to solutions and demonstrate that I truly get them, they're more likely to trust me. But we can't have that conversation. We can't even begin to have that conversation if we start off the way most salespeople begin relationships, and that's with a pitch slap. They're yeah. pitch slapping their, their, you know, the, the, their customer. So if you think about it, when you enter a relationship, the first question that the prospect is asking is, do I like you? Right. Yeah. So if you're in their familiarity bubble, you've already earned a little bit of like. But if you think about the way most salespeople approach the conversation, and by the way, this is why salespeople have such a bad reputation and why people who prospect, who try to sell on a prospecting call end up crashing and burning is because the prospect starts up here. They start up, do I like you? That's the base question that every human being asks before they enter a relationship. But the salesperson starts with logic and rationale. They start pitching their product. Well, if you just think about it for a second, the most unlikable human being in your life is the person who is standing in front of you talking about themselves. And that's how most salespeople begin the conversation. And so what happens is across this process, right, of small micro commitments, the, the, the process of building relationship, the process of understanding the customer, right, we, we, we're completely and totally out of sync emotionally with the person that we're dealing with. So what you teach and what I teach are so much the same. And that is, look, you've got, you've got to demonstrate first that you're safe, secure, that you're someone that's likable and you're someone that's worth spending time with. And then you have to take it to the next level. And then you have to take it to the next level. This is the, you know, the nuance in the art of selling, right? So you, you talk in, uh, I don't know, one of your books about um, assessing needs versus presenting, you know, so if, if I'm assessing your needs versus when I assess, I'm assessing your need. When I present, I'm presenting my need. And you talk about assessing and going through the questioning process, assessing somebody's needs prior to any kind of presentation. And you spend a lot of time on that. And again, I think traditional sales has been, like you just said, I love pitch, pitch slap, pitch slap. <laughs> by the way, Jeb's got a whole bunch of one-liners like that throughout his books, and I love it. I mean, you've come up with some great ones, but pitch slapping is definitely a traditional way. Um, how do you how do we get people more in the mindset of assessment? I think assessment's a big word here in in building rapport, even you know, uh, making somebody feel like you're genuinely interested in what their need is. And I teach this all the time. I teach that you want to go into assessment and assess somebody's need, and you may discover that their need is not your product or service. Traditional sales says, well, you get past it and you get past their objections and you go for the close anyway. Relationship marketing says, no, you refer them out. Now, why would a salesperson refer themselves out of the sales channel? In other words, talk to us a little bit about this assessment of need and, and why it's so important. So if we think about selling, this is, I, I love what you said, you know, traditional selling is, you know, I just I'd go for the jugular. And in, in the in truth is, if we go back to those five questions, do I like you? Do you listen to me? What assessing is or discovery is, is listening, right? It's asking questions and listening. It's not pitching. It's not, it's not offering solutions or presenting. It's building a case. And what I'm doing is I'm asking questions. And the questions that I ask 
are both strategic questions. They're questions that are outcome driven so I can move to the next step. Sales is a process, but they're also artful questions that provoke self-awareness in the person that I'm working with, that they have a problem and that there's a reason for them to change. So my questions are really about getting the person to think. They're, they're about getting them to sit back in their chair. And I know you've experienced this before. You've asked the question and the, the person sitting across the desk from you goes, wow, that is a really good question, quote it, Cody. And as soon as they, they say that, you know that they're thinking. 80% of sales is in assessment, is in discovery, 80%. And in fact, what great salespeople understand is that most deals are closed in the, in the, in the assessment process of asking questions. Now, I'm not saying that the person says, leans across the desk and says, okay, where do I sign? But they start making a decision for you there because your questions are provocative. Your questions pull them in. And because you're listening to them, you make them feel important. And we should never forget how, how critical this is. The need to feel significant is the most insatiable human need. It drives almost all of our behavior. So when I'm asking questions of you and I'm assessing your situation and I'm sincerely listening to you, I make you feel important, which is the greatest gift that you can give any other human being. And when you give someone a gift, you tap into something called the rule of the law of reciprocity, which is obligation. And that obligation that they feel, even at the subconscious level, compels them to continue to move to the next step. Now, what you said is, is absolutely true. I'm also looking for fit. I sell because I like helping people and I believe in my profession. And I will never sell you anything that you don't need. And when people ask me, well, they especially read my book, like, you know, Sales EQ, they go, like, like, a lot of these tactics in here, you know, these are psychological things. You could really manipulate people. How do you keep from manipulating people? And my answer is because I want to help them. And right. if what I have doesn't work for them, I'm going to tell them that and refer them out. And this happened to me just yesterday. We were on a call with a really large company who was looking at sales gravy to provide sales training and develop you know, a, a curriculum for their sales team. And as we were going through the process with them, I realized that what they were looking for, there was another company, one of my competitors, that just does this better than we do. It's in their wheelhouse. So I recommended, I said, you know, if it were me, what I would do is I would go work with them. Now, here's what's crazy about that. As soon as I stepped back and said, they're a better fit for you, my prospect leaned forward and said, no, but we want to work with you. How can we make this work together? And, and this, this taps into a, a basic human, uh, you know, need, but we are, I guess our, our, our want, but we want what we can't have. And we're more attracted to people who are willing to move away from us versus who are willing to chase us. Another way of looking at that is human beings have this funny way of running from things that chase them, right? And moving towards things that move away from them. So our willingness to do the right thing in that moment and say, this is what we think caused this prospect to instead shift their stance and say, but how can we work together on this project because we want to work with you? And in that moment, we went from I'm selling something and you're buying something to we're collaborating together to create a solution that's the right fit for your company and, and do that together. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a zero-sum game either. It doesn't have to be my competitor or me. It's the right thing for the customer. And I believe in that in my heart. I believe that if you are always selling with integrity, you're always doing the right thing for your customer. You know, the universe has a really weird and wicked way of rewarding your integrity and rewarding the way uh, you approach your clients, even if in that particular moment, you're not winning. But let me, let me drive this back to prospecting because all of what we're talking about, Cody, requires a deep amount of emotional control. 
You have, you have to control your urge to talk. You have to control your urge to sell. You have to control your urge to get what you want or pitch what you want, right? You have to control that. And in order to have emotional control, you have to be good at prospecting and relationship marketing so that you have a big enough pipeline so that no single deal matters so much that you skip all of this, like you said, simple common sense that you and I are talking about. You skip all over all that emotionally and you start pitch slapping and pushing and driving. And you should never forget that when you're doing that, people move away from you versus are attracted to you. Well, I think there's no question. The more people in your pipeline, the more likely you are to to be to be genuinely interested in the process with somebody. Because if you're desperate, yeah, the fewer you have in your pipeline, you talk about this in all your books, but the fewer you have in the pi- pipeline, the more desperate you feel to close a sell. So you have a tendency to drive yourself over more to the sales close side of things versus the assessment build relationship side of things. So, so feeling the pipeline is really important, which like you said, does go back to the importance of the prospecting process, the, the importance of focusing on that. One of, one of the takeaways from your book, you know, there, there's typically when you read really good books, there's several takeaways, but there always seems to be a one dominant takeaway. And my one dominant takeaway in one of your books, I think it's fanatical prospecting, but, but my, my one takeaway, and I use it all the time, and I knew about it before I read it, um, I did it to some level before I read it, but the way you presented this was just transformational for me. And it's where you talk about time blocking. You talk about time blocking in your book and time blocking for prospecting. You know, how do you, how do you get your pipeline full? You have to time block for prospecting. Now, people all the time ask me, Cody, how do you get all the stuff you do done? You're the CEO of a, of a big corporation. You write your own books. I don't use ghostwriters. I write all my own stuff. How do you do it all? My answer is I time block. So talk to us about time blocking, what it is, why it's so important, especially in all the stuff we're talking about here. I'm glad you used the word transformational because time blocking is transformational. And all time blocking is, is a really simple process. Uh, it's, uh, it's putting a, you know, a concentrated amount of work in a, in a set amount of time and then turning everything off and focusing on one thing at a, t- at a time. So when I time block, I had, a, I had my time blocked off this morning. Uh, and uh, one of my time blocks ran a little bit over, which is where I was running just a little bit late. But I had, I had a series of tasks that I had to do. And when I woke up, I focused my and, and concentrated my time in each of those each of those blocks. And I accomplished more this morning, I think, than most people do in an entire week because I'm able to do that. And just like you, I write my own books. I got a time block for that. I do a lot of prospecting with my team. I have to time block for that. And 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 the way we you know we we demonstrate to salespeople how powerful this is. And I'll give you a great example. One of my trainers is out uh, with a client this week, and yesterday they were he was on site and with the with their their sales team, and they were doing outbound prospecting calls. Now he's working with a team that all they do is prospect. So all they do is do prospecting calls on the telephone to set up appointments so that a account executive can then sit down and do an assessment and discovery with the client. What he discovered is that the average salesperson whose only job it is to pick up the phone and call was making about six to eight prospecting calls in an entire eight hour period. Wow. This is something called Parkinson's law. What Parkinson's law describes is how work tends to expand into the time allotted for it. So what he did was he put them together and they did four 
prospecting blogs, four 15-minute prospecting blogs. So they had across the, the, the day, and this is an entire eight-hour day, they did four prospecting blocks of 15 minutes at a time. Now, inside those prospecting blocks, he gave them one directive. Your, your, your goal is to, to make 15 outbound prospecting calls and set one appointment. Now, most of the people average between 10 and 18 calls during that period of time. Now, imagine that this is a group of people that on average every day is doing six to eight in eight hours. In 15 minutes, they were doing more than they were doing an entire day. In those four 15-minute blocks, they were able to create enough opportunities in the pipeline so that the company could confidently say that they produced $30,000 in business in an hour. In an hour doing that. That's the power of time blocking. 15 minutes, 15 dials, one appointment. That's it. But here's the key. In that 15-minute block, they weren't watching cat videos. They weren't on Facebook. They weren't on their phones. They weren't on email. They, they didn't have anything going ding or boom or any of those things. They were focused on one thing at a time. And just like you, I'm the CEO of a company and we're growing fast. And I do I travel all over the world. And the only way that I can get things done is I set small blocks of time, really tight blocks. I focus my attention in those blocks. I rarely run over, sometimes I do. Uh, and uh, and usually it's a client that runs me over. And and then I move on to the next block and the next block. And that's how you build out your calendar. And right. uh, and our buddy Bard, who got this set up, he walked in, I, I'm lucky I have an assistant. And if you go into her office, the whole thing, like her whole, all, every wall is a calendar. And she's got everything set up and blocked out for the entire team. And But what most people do, Cody, is they begin their day. They, they come in in the morning, they're on email, they're over here, they're drinking coffee, they're watching the cat video, they're on YouTube, this dings, that dings, this moves, that moves. And they end the day and they don't feel like they got anything done. And so they have to do some more work at night. Then they complain that they don't have any time with their family and they don't have a work-life balance. But most of the work-life balance issue they have is self-inflicted because they wasted almost their entire day. And I would argue that most salespeople, just pure salespeople, if they're time blocking, most salespeople could get their work done in a day and, and be at the top of the ranking list in about six hours of time, of work a day, every day. Now, that's not true for CEOs, and it's certainly not true for business owners, but it's certainly true for individual contributors at the sales level if they're doing, if they're blocking their time and they're concentrating their focus and they're really getting a lot done. No question. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to do a little something right now that goes along with what you're saying. It's real important to time blocking. And I actually was on a a coaching call yesterday and I talked about one of the most important things to do when you start to time block like this, and I'm actually going to do it. So those that watch this on YouTube will actually see me do this. Before we started this podcast, I failed to do what I normally do. So I've got my smartphone right here. And while you were talking, if some of you on YouTube may have picked up on it, my phone phone started ringing because what I had failed to do prior to this podcast starting is, and this is what I usually always do, and I'm just going to do it in front of everybody, go to my settings. The best thing on this smartphone is this thing called airplane mode. So you click airplane mode because a lot of people say, well, you know, there's, you know, I've got to refer to my phone. I have notes on my phone. I got this and that on my phone. So I can't turn the phone off. Yeah, but you can certainly turn airplane mode on. So when you time block, to me, at least what's helped me personally the most, like when I wrote my last book, Power of Human Connection, I would time block like three hour time blocks. And then I would go on a one hour break and then I do another three hour time block. And during those time blocks, I would airplane mode 
and keep my phone aside. That way you don't hear the ding and you don't hear any of the stuff and nothing pops up and you're not interrupted. And I think, you know, those kind of tactics are really important. So uh, let's, let's kind of move on here. You know, we, I talk a lot about this process called thanking people through the process. Really important to thank people through the process. And we, we've done a lot of statistics about thank yous and how, how powerful thank yous are. In fact, uh, a thank you, a written thank you card is the number one source of communication that generates referral business for people. So, you know, I always say smart people have done studies and they have on this. By far the most important uh, uh, interaction is, is a thank you. Um, and yet less than 3% of salespeople ever send a physical thank you card. And we go a step beyond that. We say, you know, the best, uh, what's better than a, than a thank you are several thank yous. Uh, it's thanking people through the process. So when you say, you know, prospecting and you get on and you assess and there's no sell made and chances are there never will be, no matter what, you always thank through the process. Talk to us about the importance of that, you know, sharing thank you through the process of things. You know, early in my sales career, I, I would, you know, carried a briefcase outside field sales professional. And I, you know, I broke every record in my company's history. And I worked for a, a Fortune 200 company, thousand salespeople in the field. Uh, and I did that several years in a row. And one of the practices that I used back then, and this was before modern technology, was that I carried on the front seat next to me, there was always a stack of, uh, of thank you notes. And each of those thank you notes, there was an envelope that already had a stamp on it. And I would, on my, you know, in my non-golden hour, my platinum hour time, I would stamp all my envelopes and I had the thank you cards. When I walked out of a meeting, the first thing I did was scribbled out a nice thank you card in my handwriting, which is awful. Uh, and I would, you know, say something about whatever it was, whether it was a good meeting or a bad meeting. I always did that. I put a stamp on it. And then on my way home, there was a post office and I would just drop the cards in the post office. And today, you know, we've got modern technology. I'm, I'm holding out the send out cards app on my phone, which is just awesome because now, you know, I can just push my cards. I can go to my contact list and I can send it. But the same thing applies, right? The, the, it, you have to have a workflow for this. And, uh, and, and by the way, this isn't easy. I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I'm not the person in the world that would tell you that, you know, this is super easy because I'm working with everybody on my team to do exactly what you said, which is create a workflow around this. But my workflow back then was I got in my car and before I turned the car on, thank you card was written, stamped and done. Now you get into your car, you press my cards and you build a card and then you send it before you leave. And what's cool is you probably have the person's business card. You have their address right there on the spot. There's something that you just did that you remember that you can reference and you can just build the card right there and you press send and then you move to your next appointment. By the way, you can do the same thing if you're selling over the phone, but it's, it's all about being intentional. The, the process you've made it super easy. Send out cards. This is the greatest thing. Truly, this is the greatest thing ever invented. This is so easy. And, and then if you build it into a cadence, so every single time you thank them or you bring it, you know, build it into something that uh, becomes, if it's a prospect, a pursuit plan, if it's you're meeting with different stakeholders, making sure that you send that every single time. But we go back to that, that familiarity bubble, right? Every time they see your name, every time they see a thank you, um, it pulls them towards you. They, 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 they feel more comfortable with you. You, you. you answer the question, do I like you? 
And by the way, if your card is personal and it references them, and you know, one of the things I teach my people now because I learned this from you know from our buddy Bart is take a snap a, a selfie with somebody that you're meeting with, snap a selfie with them, and send them the selfie of you in your face. Right. Then they see you again, more familiarity. And uh, and and you know, I I refer to this as the Katy Perry paradigm, right? But it's this it's, it's basically. If you've ever heard a song, right? And I'm not a, I, I, there was a Katy Perry song that I just hated. And, um, and then I heard the song over and over and over again on the radio. And one day I'm driving down the interstate and I'm singing the song that I told my wife that I hated at the top of my lungs, right? Katy Perry. And it was because I'd heard the song so many times that I began to like it. Familiarity breeds liking. So the thank you card, thanking people all the way through the process builds that familiarity, it builds that liking, and it starts to build trust. And when you demonstrate that you paid attention by referencing something that you talked about in the meeting that was important or emotional to your customer, going back to assessment and discovery where they're talking, not you talking, then you answer the question, do you listen to me? Do you get me? Do you understand me? And, and, and are you paying attention? And as you do that, you start to build these deep emotional connections. You also start tapping into the law of reciprocity where you create an obligation, even at the subconscious level, to meet with you again and to continue to move down the process. And by the way, if they're not the right fit or it didn't go well and you send a thank you note, you create an obligation for them to give something back to you. And that's more likely to be a referral or send you a friend or do something for you or at least say something nice to you in the marketplace, which builds your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, you talk a lot about various forms of communications, ways to stay in touch and using all the mediums, you know, email is important. Social media is important. There's numerous digital ways to reach out and digital digital communication is easy. It's fast. It's easy. You can do it. And there's a lot of mediums that are effective, you know, and, and, uh, and, and you talk about that process, but what I want to talk to you about is the difference between digital communication and tangible communication. I've got a card right here and I have a stack. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's Christmas time. So I have, you know, a stack of Christmas cards here. Here's one right right here that was sent to me by Dan and Linda uh, Sanko from Cedar Park, Ontario, Canada. And inside, so it's it's a physical card. It says, believe it. And then inside, it has a picture of, of their family and says, Merry Christmas to me on the inside. And what's the difference between receiving this? And let's, you know, and I, I wish I would have had a thank you card to show, but the difference between receiving this and receiving a digital form of communication and why, why is this important today? Well, I think people recognize that digital is easy, that it's a throwaway, that you can just push a button. And I said this to, gosh, I don't know, one, one of the people on my team just recently, because I get these, these digital Christmas cards and I don't even open them up. I just delete them. And I know if you've sent me one, don't, don't, don't feel bad. I just, this drives me crazy. You didn't even take the time. I would rather you not even send me a card than send me a, you know, a digital communication. Cause I know that you didn't have to work at it. I know that you probably sent one to many. And that's not to say that digital communication is not a good idea. Certainly email and text messaging done the right way is a fantastic way to, uh, to build familiarity, to get in at the right times, to sometimes you know, tell your story. Uh, just like a voicemail, you can send voicemails and leave a 30-second commercial. But this is why, for example, I'm working with my team and your team is working with my team to help my people develop this and be intentional in their workflow 
if you know my trainers on site and takes a picture with my customers people and then sends them a card with their logo on it and they had a great experience with him and he takes the time to do that first of all it's an investment they recognize that it took some effort they recognize that but their pictures on the card and you're not going to throw your picture away you're going to keep it and in all all of my cards that I send from send out cards my brand sales gravy you can see it here on you know my I have it everywhere it's right on the back so they turn it over it's got my name on it it's got my address it's got my website it's got all of that but they're more likely to hold on to it it's it's the same thing we do with all cards and I'll I'll give you a great example this morning I was uh, cleaning up my uh, my my sink in my bathroom uh, over my you just you know you come in I came off the road dumped a bunch of stuff off, off of it and on my sink is a card that my wife gave me for my birthday and it's got a little Datsun on it and it, you know, walking down the road together. And it was just such a thoughtful thing that she did. Uh, and it's my wife. I see her every single day that I'm, I'm you know, that I'm, I'm in town. Uh, but the card itself, the way she did it and the way she signed it meant so much to me that I've been holding on to it for months and I'm not throwing it away. And in fact, I think I'm going to frame it because I like it so much. So from a tangible standpoint, you know, it's a person who invests in you. And let's go back to the question, do you make me feel important? Do you make me feel significant? When you make another person feel significant and a card, a tangible, you know, demonstration of that is so powerful, you give them the greatest gift that you can give another human being. And when you give them that gift of importance and significance, they feel an obligation to do something back for you. That doesn't mean that they always will. And walking into any relationship expecting that people are going to give back to you is called premeditated resentment. But you improve the probability that they will re respond in kind either by doing business with you, advancing to the next step, giving you more information, introducing you to other people in their organization, or sending you a referral, connecting you with someone, making an introduction, or at least saying something nice about you and your brand in the marketplace. Absolutely. Well, Jeb, I tell you, I, I just, I've learned so much from you through your books. I'm a reader. I, I like to read more than anything else. And I uh, just have gained so much from reading your books. And I know you have a lot of different ways uh, that you that you can share your wisdom with others. Uh, I, I want to make sure that our listeners know how they can get to you. Um, so this is plug time, but I, I, I just think it's really important. You have, you know, here's the deal. There, there are a lot of, and I, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody that's out there, but in today's social media world, there is a lot of self-proclaimed guru trainers and presenters. You see them on social media all the time. You know, there's a new five-step plan every five minutes. It's like you, you go through your, <laughs> you go through your news feed and there's just, and one of the things that I've found is that, is that the reason, the reason there's so many and there's the reason that people spend so much time looking at the new five-step plan or the new three-step plan or whatever is because they don't stick to the plan that they studied. You know what I mean? One of the things we talk about is, is taking, taking what you learn and you always learn steps and principles and fundamentals that you should do in a sales process. But the single most important thing is to take whatever that is and get it to the level where it's a habit. So we talked today about time blocking. Time blocking needs to get to where it is a habit. Like it is, it's habitual. Thinking through the process needs to not just be a, a, a rule, it needs to be a habit. 
talk to us a little bit about habits and how you help your clients to, to get to the level of habit with this stuff. You're exactly right. So when I work with clients and we talk about, especially clients who say they want to have a learning culture, uh, most of the clients that I work with have had this, this long string of flavor of the day. So they come up with a process, they teach the process, then they come up with another process, they teach that process, then another one, then another one, or they switch from guru or expert or trainer to trainer to trainer. And what I explain to them is, is companies, and it doesn't make a difference what process you pick, as long as it works for you and it fits. So it can be my process or someone else's process. The companies who, who I, I find that have the greatest learning cultures are the ones that have the courage to pick a process that works and then train it over and over and over and over again until it's wrote, until it's, it's baked into the culture, until everybody gets it at, at a basic level. And there are a lot of companies out there that do it very, very well. But most of, most of the companies out there, most of the organizations that are, you know, that are trying to, to, to build training are doing it and then, and then switching from, you know, from thing to thing to thing. And by the way, individuals are no different. The problem for individuals, and this is just human, right? So we have this bad tendency to quit doing the things that work. And then we complain that the things that we aren't doing aren't working anymore. It's weird how we do that. So what you said is exactly that. It is pick something and then learn to be intentional about it and then practice it and practice it and practice it. I, I had an opportunity to see John Smoltz. He was a, one of the pictures, pictures for the Atlanta Braves, you know, one of the most famous uh, baseball players of all time, at least in Georgia for sure. And he was giving a talk about how these MLB baseball players, the elite baseball players, the, the people who have gone to the show and they're at the top of the top, how they get into these slumps. And he says the problem when they get into a slump is they start trying all this different stuff rather than going back to the basics, back to the things that brought them to the show to begin with. They think that there's some magic pill out there that's going to somehow or make it easier. And he said when they get back to the basics, when they start doing the things that always work for them, then they start, they start getting out of their slump. They start hitting again. They start pitching. They start catching. They start hitting their numbers. And I don't think it's any different from people. But I, I do think that as human beings, you know, we we have this um, this bad tendency to move away from the basics, move away from the repetition, because those things are painful, because those things require discipline, because they're often hard work, they're often challenging. And there's always, like you said, some pseudo guru expert out there who has spent five minutes, you know, learning something. Most of the time, they, they're teaching you something that they can't do, who says, I have an easy button that you can push. And you're going to, everything's going to be okay. And I can tell you this, I know you say the same thing. Success is paid for in advance and it's paid for in advance with sacrifice and hard work and repetition and discipline. And that will never change. And the one thing that you can be assured of is that when we talk about discipline, discipline is giving up what you want now, the easy button for what you want most, your goals, your dreams, your desires. And if you can keep your focus on what you want the most, you will always come back and do the hard things, the challenging things, the tough things, the difficult things, the intentional things that move you to the future state that you that you want so much. Well, I'll tell you, great stuff. We could we could go on all day long. I just feel like we could listen to you for a long time. In fact, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there. We've got a what we call a relationship marketing grand summit coming up in Salt Lake City next August. And I know your schedule's crazy, but somehow I'm going to get you here to speak at that. So I, I think it'd be really good to to have awesome. you there. Now let's let's talk a little bit about how people can uh, 
uh, get more exposed to you, sellsgravy.com. Can you just share a little bit of, of some of the different ways that we can listen to some of your content? Absolutely. Well, salesgravy.com is a fantastic place to go. If you come to Sales Gravy and click on the little articles icon in the top bu- the top bar, there's videos, articles, podcasts, and it's not just me. It's from experts from all over the place who write articles for Sales Gravy. Uh, if you uh, like podcasts, and I love podcasts because podcasts are free, uh, my podcast is called Sales Gravy, or you can type in my name, Jeb Blunt, B-L-O-U-N-T, uh, and you can go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, any place that you get Podbay, uh, Overcast, any place that you get uh, podcast, and I put up new podcasts just about every single week. You can go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash salesgravy. I've got several hundred videos on there. I put up new videos several times a week, and then you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at salesgravy. On Instagram, I'm at salesgravy. At uh, Facebook, I'm at Sales Gravy, nice. or you can go to my page, Jeb on Demand, or connect me on LinkedIn. And in all of those channels, I'm posting different content uh, in, in different ways and, uh, and you know, tr- trying to consistently and constantly invest back into my audience and the people that consume my books. And of course, uh, my brand new book, Objections, is up here on the screen, and you'll love this book, and you can go to Amazon right now and grab it for yourself. I, that's one I have not read yet, but I have it right here. Here it is, and that's going to be my next read, so I'm excited. In fact, I have a long plane ride tomorrow to do, and this is what I'm going to have with me. So I appreciate your time today, Jeb. It's been been wonderful, and I would like to invite you back on at a later time. Uh, I like I always like to close the show by just asking a couple of quick questions. Um, I, I'm always interested in this because I, I love to read, and I like I like to know what other um, thought leaders are reading. And so what is your favorite book of all time and why? My favorite book of all time is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, it's an all-time classic. And it's a book that I recommend that every human being on earth read every single year. I think that we have to be reminded of those basic principles. I know that I fail at them often because I'm a person, I'm a human, and I'm and I'm you know running so hard all the time. And, and it's important that you get reminded of those things. And no one wrote a better book about this than Dale Carnegie. It is a classic. And I think it, it's, it's, it's a classic that will, that will never age. It, it will, it's always true. That was the first uh, personal development book that I read at the age of 15. I had an older person give me that book, gave me the advice to, to keep a pen with me and underline things I liked in that book. And that was my first experience with personal development studying. And, and I'm about 4,000 books later now in my library. So I have that person to thank for that. But that was the beginning was that book. Ironically, I've asked this question to several people on uh, several of the show formats I've had. And that book comes up more than any other book. So it's, it's, it definitely is powerful. Uh, closing question. Uh, if you can be remembered for one thing, what is it? I, I would like to be remembered for as a person that truly believed in the profession of selling and worked tirelessly to advance sales as a profession. And, you know, not just a, a fly by night person, but, you know, just I, I, it's I, it's so important to me. I love what I, I love the profession of sales. I love what we do. And and I hope that, you know, if when I'm gone, that people look back and say, you know, this was a this was a person who genuinely cared about 
salespeople and people who had to sell for a living and and did everything in you know in his power to to give them the tools that they needed to be successful and achieve their dreams. Well, there you have it, everybody. My good friend Jeb Blunt, appreciate all that you do. And uh, just wish you the very best and everything. Looking forward to getting uh, to meet you soon in hand. We've never actually met face to face, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity. And I'll keep studying your work. It's it's wonderful stuff. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cody Bateman, the author of The Human Connection. And if you're ready to take your human connections to the next level, if you're ready to stand out, if you are ready to differentiate yourself from the rest of the crowd, I want you to go to OutboundCards.com. That's OutboundCards.com and check out this incredible new app. Go to OutboundCards.com right now and you can send your first card for free.